on this episode of the Wild Rose Vet Podcast. The very first time you asked me to hold a bird, Savannah, I was like, literally like three weeks into this job. And I was just so mortified of you that I couldn't say no. And now I'm just like, yeah, I'll hold that goose. Let me wrangle that pelican. No big deal. (laughs) I'll go grab that hawk. And you haven't lost an eye yet. This is the Wild Rose Vet Podcast with Dr. Savannah Howes-Smith. Today I have an awesome guest, and my guest is Brooke Wildman, and she is a registered veterinary technologist at Rocky Rapids Veterinary Service. Um, Although I usually call her a veterinary nurse because I like that term better, but um, I think we're supposed to call you technologists, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, I think so. The ABVMA calls us technologists. It kind of varies like province by province, though. What does that mean? Like, what kind of stuff do you do exactly? Because I feel like um, you do most of everything at the clinic. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's kind of a good way to put it. Mm -hmm. Like, for me, my job is a lot of what in human medicine people would specialize to do on a much like broader and not so detailed spectrum. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. I do... I do the anesthesia. I do lots of lab work. I do x-rays. I do prepping for surgery. I do regular medical stuff. So like, you know, cleaning wounds and ear cleanings and that kind of stuff. It really is a a large variety of things every day. Yeah. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about today is how broad it is. Like our job encompasses so many things. And uh, I think that's true of just about everybody in the whole system of a clinic, you know, from yeah, uh, our, our technologists, our veterinary nurses, our, our veterinarians, even our first our staff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do all sorts of things that normally like in human medicine would be specialized to one job. And you've got one person doing like 12 jobs. <laughs> all at the same time, by the way. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, And then I think we take it next level because we're in a mixed animal practice. That means mm-hmm. that we're seeing um, farm animals. We're seeing, you know, we're seeing cattle. We're seeing horses and sheep and goats and poultry. And then we're also seeing dogs and cats. But then I also make everybody's life difficult by seeing wildlife and exotic <laughs> animals and other things. Is that something, is that why you like mixed practice because of how variable and just how different everything is? Oh, a hundred percent. It's, it's a lot more fun because I never really know what I'm expecting each day. And especially working with you being able to do the wildlife. <laughs> that sounds accusatory almost. <laughs> well, and also, I mean, you know, better than anyone, there's a lot of stuff that we just kind of make up. <laughs> That we have to make happen in a day because we don't have we don't have the equipment or we don't have the tools to be able to do it. So we just have to do it with what we have. And it always works out okay. Yeah, exactly. But that's (laughs) that's what I really do like about our practice is that it's it's always something different and I'm always learning. And it also has a funny way of like you know, keeping me humble. <laughs> yeah, that you're never going to... Because every time I think that I'm doing a really great job and I know everything there is to know, I just get hit with something stupid and I'm like, oh God, I have no idea what's going on here. I mean, I probably shouldn't take so much joy in it, but nothing makes me happier yeah. than when I come up and I'm like, hey, Brooke, 
you up to doing this? <laughs> and I just you like wanna, say you want to cowboy this. <laughs> and I just uh, I appreciate that you're 100 percent buy in. You're like, I don't know what I'm doing, but we're going to get her done. I'm like, all right, let's go get her done. <laughs> and actually, now that I think about it, I don't think there's been an animal where you've said you wouldn't do something with it like I don't like you don't have any phobias I think and uh not really not when really. I like came out mm-hmm. of school I was like birds are the worst and I hate birds and I'm never touching <laughs> birds and now I love working with birds the very first time you asked me to hold a bird Savannah yeah. I was like literally like three weeks into this job and I was just so <laughs> mortified of you that I couldn't say no and now I'm just like yeah I'll hold that goose. Let me wrangle that pelican. No big deal. (laughs) I'll go grab that hawk. And you haven't lost an eye yet. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I actually don't think I've got bitten by any birds yet. Nope. It's mostly just Lisa that gets bit. Yeah, Lisa does get bit a lot. (laughs) I think the only thing that's actually bit me in practice, like for real, was that goddamn hedgehog. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he got you good. He did. Yeah, he was a little bit of a butthead. That was my fault, so... (laughs) Well, if you don't count all the cats that get you too. Yeah, well, I think only two cats have ever got me in. One was my own. I was so going to say one of them count. was your own cat. So that's that's a freebie. Yeah. She gets a ride. <laughs> yeah, that's the, and that's the only one that I've ever had to like actually go get like antibiotics for. It's the only bite that's actually done any damage. <laughs> it was your own. <laughs> I remember that. That was really funny. <laughs> uh, I'm just trying to think because there actually are some species that I won't work with. Um, and so you don't have to be exposed to them, thankfully. Uh, like, for example, <laughs> venomous reptiles. I mean, more venomous mm-hmm. than like a bearded dragon or something. I mean, like right. legit. Like, One that's going to actually do damage. Yeah, like, like real damage. I wouldn't feel comfortable working with rattlesnakes, for example, um, or any of the like a pit viper. No way. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's mostly just because I don't have I feel like we don't have the right tools or training to deal with them. I think if I had that background, I totally would. Um, also, I don't work with fish. I know Kevin's interested, but uh, I really don't do any aquaculture. And I don't think we've made you do anything fish-related. No, but we don't exactly have the clientele for that. It's one of those things where if you don't have somebody interested in doing it, you can't build up the clientele mm-hmm. for it. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, we don't really do any fish stuff. There's been a few. Would you do fish stuff or is that just like something you're not interested in? I don't know anything about it. I really don't know enough about it. I don't know. I'm kind of lukewarm on the idea. I feel like, I mean, I've done <laughs> I've done some fish stuff. Like uh, there was a, a disease outbreak with um, a trout pond and we actually did some stuff with that. And I know there was somebody who came in looking for safeguard to treat um, some kind of parasitic infection in their snails <laughs> in their aquarium. What? In their snails? I think it was their snails. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah. And that See, was... and I wouldn't mm-hmm. say no to any of that. Again, I don't know anything about it, but I think <laughs> I'd learn. What kinds of like continue like is there any kind of continuing education that vet nurses have to do to kind of keep up with all this information? Because I mean, it's it's a lot that we expect for our nurses to know and to do. Yeah, so it is it is mandatory in order to keep our licenses that we take so many hours of continuing education per year. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of up to you where you want to place that education. So for someone like me, um, it's it would be a lot more beneficial for me to just kind of 
keep up a little bit with everything Mm -hmm. because we do see such a wide variety and I'm expected to do a lot of different things. Whereas if someone's working in like a specialty practice or they have a specialty, it would be a lot more beneficial for them to spend all of their C in one CE in one specific field or, you know, one specific course that's really going to expand their knowledge or even bring them new skills within that one lane. Whereas Mm -hmm. like for me, I don't think it would make a whole lot of sense for me to take two months worth of CE on just orthopedic surgery nursing Mm because we do that occasionally. And I do need to be capable in that stuff, but I don't need to be an expert. (laughs) Yeah. Cause we haven't, we don't do it every day. Yeah, exactly. And and there's there are lots of places that people go for that expert care. And I, I don't think that that's my job right now. I need to be able to handle a little bit of everything. Yeah. And just kind of keeping up with that stuff takes a lot of my CE time yeah. <laughs> and availability. I think that's the way that veterinary medicine is trending is it used to be that every veterinarian was a jack of all trades. And now yeah. we're seeing a lot more specialization of veterinarians themselves, specialization of practices and of our support staff and nurses. Yeah, which is awesome and definitely how we should continue to go. Yeah, yeah. And yet I find it's really funny when I talk to veterinarians that are have a much more narrow scope of practice. The first thing they say to me is they almost have like this romanticized version of what we do that they're like, oh, man, you're just like James Harriet or you're a real vet. I have legitimately had multiple other veterinarians say you're an actual real vet (laughs) because that's what everybody's concept is, is that you're supposed to see all the animals Mm -hmm. and do all the things. Right. And so I think it's just really uh, I think that's fascinating. Anytime that comes up where some like and people are like, I couldn't I have other vets that are like, I couldn't do what you do. It's just too much information. Um, And I think we don't, uh, I feel like in mixed practice, we don't toot our own horn as much as we should because what we do is very difficult. I was just going to say that like even people that I have graduated with that are now in specialty practice, I'm just like, oh, you guys, you guys got the coolest stuff. Like you're really getting out there. You're really doing it. Like that's awesome. And wouldn't even cross my mind that the stuff that we're doing is the the hard stuff, if you mm-hmm. know what I mean. Yeah, I think it's it's difficult in a different way. So like even though it may not be as technically challenging in some cases, you know, like managing a tower of six CRIs for the anesthesia yeah. specialized yeah. nurse is, is one type of difficult, but then it's difficult to be good at so many different things. I feel like it's almost easier to get really good at a small subsection because you're doing it all the time. You've got repetition. Every day. You can, yeah, yeah, you're getting good at it. Whereas like I will make you do something that I'm like, hey, remember that time like a year ago we made you do this? Let's do it again now right off the bat. Like that's hard. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's difficult. <laughs> that is true, I guess. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people that can't do that. And I think – um Sometimes I wonder if that's why it's hard to find a qualified staff for mixed practices, because it's intimidating to think that you have to be everything to everyone. Do you apply your nursing principles across species and just hope that it's the same? Or how do you go about doing that? Yeah, usually. I mean, like there's obviously specific key like anatomical or nutritional differences that you need to know about. But at the end of the day, they're all animals. Mm -hmm. Like you still you got to taking care of them is still taking care of them. Mm -hmm. It's just in different ways and you kind of got to tweak it. But you got to tweak it for each individual patient anyway, right? Not every dog is the same and you can't approach every dog or cat the same. So Mm -hmm. you should be 
paying attention to what you're doing with exotic species or dogs and cats. It's all, everything should be specific to that patient anyway. Yeah, I think that's a good way of thinking that. So it's not such a huge leap for me. Unless it's like, yeah, it's just like the specific, the specific differences. I'm always like, wait a second. I can't put my hand on this one's chest, right? (laughs) I might crush its lungs. And you're like, yes, you're right. (laughs) The days that we had last week at any other practice, the whole place probably would have just gone up in flames. (laughs) But because we're all just like, we all can take a breath and just be like, okay. So not the end of the world. How do we deal with this in the most efficient manner? Mm -hmm. We can usually get through it. Yeah. Yeah. The adaptability is key. Certainly. I mean, especially in mixed practice. I mean, you're going to get the same with ER. I think like emergency medicine would cultivate similar personalities where everything's on fire and we need to figure out how to put them all out. And uh, I think... uh, yeah, I, I draw a lot of comparisons with emergency veterinary practices because the same thing, they don't they don't know what's coming through the doors either. Yeah. Um, they get a wide variety of things and then they'll also have that breadth of care where they're going to have some things are quite simple and others are extremely intense and in-depth and uh, their day's not very structured either. So I, right. think, uh, I think if somebody did well in emergency medicine, they would do well in mixed animal practice and vice versa. Except most uh, ER docs hate doing things like ear infections. <laughs> right. Yeah. Fair. Yeah, they don't want anything that mundane. They don't. <laughs> oh, but yeah. No, I think I that's great. I love a good ear cleaning. Oh, my God. <laughs> love a good ear cleaning. I know. You guys get the fun stuff sometimes. I think uh, uh, that's one, one reason I'll uh, sometimes dissuade people from being a veterinarian. I'm like, you should probably be a vet nurse instead. They get to do all the fun stuff. I just get to do the paperwork yeah, after. Yeah, 100%. Honestly, what I've been finding quite frequently is there's a lot of cases where people are bringing in and owning animals that maybe they're poorly equipped to take care of. Um, And I mean that in a way more so like a lack of education about how to provide the best care and husbandry. Um, Yes, you're absolutely right. And I mean, honestly, we've been seeing that with our large animals like our like uh, cattle and small ruminants like sheep and goats as much as we've been seeing it with exotic animals mm-hmm. um, where you see like people are they're like oh I moved out to an acreage and and now I've got this little hobby farm but then they don't know that like sheep need more than straw to eat <laughs> yeah and I think that it's I've personally I've seen a lot more of that and gotten a lot more like over the phone am I doing this right questions Mm -hmm. with the pandemic? Mm -hmm. Because people are at home and they're like, oh, okay, well, I'm at home to be able to take care of this thing, so let's get it. But I didn't actually do any research on how to take care of this thing properly. Or I read a Wikipedia page, so now I can own a turtle. (laughs) You know? Yeah, because I think that's a pretty common theme with a lot of the exotic animals that we see is is their husbandry, the the taking care of them is not ideal and that's resulting in health problems. Yeah. But I mean, I've also seen cattle and stuff and and sheep and goats in the same boat, which just blows my mind. Mm -hmm. Well, and really the principle could be brought across even to your companion animals. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. it's tough for us because... I mean, I would love if everyone could have a pet because it really does a lot of benefit for for both of them, mm-hmm. right? But if you're not in a position to be able to care for them properly or if you don't have the time to put towards 
educating yourself properly on how to take care of them, then you probably shouldn't be owning a pet because they are now your complete responsibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah, You can't just kick them out when you're done with them. (laughs) Right? Uh, Yeah, ideally not. No. (laughs) Like you can't just... You can't just say, oh, this is actually pretty hard. Yeah. I'm just going to not do this thing for them anymore. I know. And then we get to see a lot of the fallout from it, which is really rough. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. Or a lot of, oh, well, I have a friend that I talked to on Facebook about how to take care of this thing. So I've done my research. That's what I need. But the answer should always be you need to check with your veterinarian. Yeah. Well, and I think what's what gives us a unique perspective on that uh, compared to even other practices is that because we spend so much time educating ourselves on the differences of all these animals that it almost feels like, and I don't want to say offensive, but almost like a slight that somebody didn't take the time to learn how to take care of yeah. this one animal properly. And you're like, in any given day, I'm taking care of like 10 different species. And yes. I put in the effort for it. Why Why can't you put in the effort for it? Yeah, <laughs> for and one. that's difficult too, especially when like we have a client or a pet coming in and I can right away see what's been going wrong. Mm-hmm. And it is not the pet's fault. It's something that the owner has directly done or not done. Yeah, like a lot of the behavior stuff that we see. Yeah, and that's really, really tough because I want to help. And mm-hmm. I, I don't want to just go in and scream at someone because that's not going to help anybody. No. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, if you if you would have just sat down and taken, just taken a little bit of time yeah. Look some of this stuff up. This could have been so easily prevented. Yeah, it could have been avoided. Or just called me yeah. <laughs> or, you know, <laughs> made an appointment the day you brought the animal home to ask about these things. Sometimes I wonder if people don't know how much we actually know, like how much knowledge we have yeah. and how knowledgeable our veterinary nurses are, how knowledgeable we are in so many different animals. And I wonder if that might be why sometimes they don't think to talk to the vet. Cause a lot of people think like, oh yeah, I take my dog and cat there and that's it. But I don't know if a lot of them realize yeah, like they give we can me a actually, vaccine and that's it. yeah, it's like we can actually counsel on nutrition. We can counsel on behavior. I can, we can counsel <laughs> you on your birds, on your, on your cattle, on all of these things. It's not just, you know, dogs and cats and collar done. Yeah. And I think that it's becoming more known what uh, the role of the the veterinary technician is in that now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that's a, a huge learning curve specifically in like the last, you know, 10 to 20 years that mm-hmm. veterinary practices have been trying really hard to educate their clients on what we as technicians and nurses know and can do and can help with. You don't need to talk to the vet every time. Yeah. Yeah. We can help you with that. Yeah. We're trained to help you with that. Yeah, which I think it's great that we're that you guys are up to the task because I always I always feel bad when I'm like shoveling stuff towards you, like here, take all this work. <laughs> but like You can do this here. Like, I know you can do it, but at the same time I'm like, I'm sorry, you have all this stuff to do now. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's honestly one of my favorite parts of the job is the client communication aspect mm-hmm. because most of the time, or at least more than half of the time, when I'm having these conversations, people genuinely are trying to listen and learn. And that's, that's really, really cool. Thank you for listening to the Wild Rose Vet Podcast. If you like the show, please leave us a five-star rating and a review. And while you're at it, why not tell your friends about us? Subscribe to us on Spotify, 
Apple Podcast, or wherever you're listening to us right now. Check out the show notes to see where you can find us on social media and for more information on the Dr. Savannah Wild Rose Vet television series. The Wild Rose Vet Podcast is hosted by Dr. Savannah Howe-Smith, produced by Trent Wilkie, Shirley McLean, Dylan Wirtz, Tanya Conigotier, and Valerie Oudmarchand. Recorded by Ian Armstrong at Wolf Willow Studios, with original music by Wayne LaVallee.